This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Liquid Death. Okay, Damon. So I've got an odd question for you. Do you have a favorite water brand? I mean, not that I can really think of, Christian. I mean, you know me. I drink diet soda, and that's about all. Why do you ask? Well, first off, that's not very healthy for you. And second off, there's a bunch of water brands I try to avoid, but I just recently discovered one called Liquid Death that I think you and our listeners should check out. Well, Christian, don't you tell me how to live my life, man. And since when are you concerned about my health? I mean, you want me to drink something called Liquid Death? I wouldn't say concerned, but I sure knew I needed more water in my daily routine. And if I had to pick a source, it would be Liquid Death. Well, what a metal name for a water brand. Tell me more, man. Gladly, Liquid Death is all about taking the cutesy out of H2O and giving you a can of the healthy stuff you need. Packaged with the most hardcore branding you can find, no water company makes you feel more like a badass while being healthy. This water hails straight from the mountains to the can in your hand. Unlike other major water brands that use processed tap water, Liquid Death maintains the original mineral profile of the water and seals it up airtight in their cans. Well, the fact that they use cans instead of plastic bottles means it's actually more recyclable too. Exactly, Liquid Death is good for you and good for the environment. Well, it definitely seems the only thing they'll be killing is the competition. You're damn right, Damon. Our listeners can murder their thirst by finding Liquid Death at Whole Foods or their website, liquiddeath.com. That's right, help bring death to plastic and join me and try Liquid Death. Again, that can be found at Whole Foods or liquiddeath.com. Don't forget to murder your thirst and look like a badass while doing it. Hydrate or die. Welcome, nerd. Are you ready to launch 151st edition into nerdum? Preparing for launch. Queuing bitchin' rockabilly track. Priming engines. Now hiring expendable assets in case of predator attack. Unencrypting files for comics, TV, movies, wrestling. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Stamen. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Christian, it's gobble gobble time, man. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, actually. I guess we're recording this before Thanksgiving, but this episode's yes. actually coming out on Friday, so Thanksgiving's already passed. Um, do you have any big Thanksgiving plans, Christian? Well, I keep trying to do something different every year. Uh, you know, we try to add different dishes and stuff like that. I was like, what can I do differently with my turkey this time around, you know? And I was figuring, hey, why not I do something incredibly dangerous? And fucking, you know, deep fry a turkey in the backyard. Oh my god, you're gonna fucking burn yourself alive. <laughs> I don't have the mittens or anything right now. I'm thinking about, like, <laughs> should I go to a fucking store tomorrow morning? Yeah, uh, you should. <laughs> <laughs> this just feels like a bad idea. <laughs> I bet it's delicious, though. You know, the, the things that need more effort always, you know, like, come out better, right? I'm sure if you know what you're doing, it's going to be delicious, but I, I have a feeling you have no clue what you're doing. So I, I just see an I ER in, visit, it like, in your future. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, uh, well, this episode wouldn't be coming out on Friday. I can tell you that <laughs> if I'm in the ER. But, uh... <laughs> That's true. That is true. So I know 2020 has been like a dumpster fire every year, but... If you had to say you were thankful for one thing in the world of nerdum, you know, not, you know, family and all that stuff, not my regular life, okay? <laughs> None of that mushy stuff. But in the world uh -huh. of nerdum, what would you say you were most thankful for? For 2020 in general? Yes. Okay. Not, not like of all time. No, or... <laughs> motherfucker. 2020. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to say video games because, you know, this year because of everything that's been going on i've been able to play more than ever before um so i'm definitely gonna have to say video games yo for me it's gotta be vod like VOD? i i think <laughs> vod like kept my sanity this year just the fact that we were able to stream movies as much as we did and i mean definitely save this show I mean, I relied so much on VOD. I mean, honestly, before this year, I think I might have used VOD maybe once or twice my entire life. 
but this year, man, I've got like a steady, like weekly diet of like <laughs> video on demand content, you know, streaming to my house. So, um, but yeah, no, definitely VOD for me. Has it changed your mind on like buying digital movies in general? Are you, are you still sticking to the physical? No, copies? man, I need, I need physical content. I need, <laughs> I need hard copies. Um, but that's just the collector in me. Uh, hmm. I do think the one aspect that I love about it so much, and just with everything that's going on, I mean, the one silver lining is being able to check out, you know, smaller independent movies that we might have not seen otherwise, you know, any other year. So it's brought in my horizons more. And I think I'd probably be more willing to, you know, check more things out, even once like, you know, theaters are up and running again that I wouldn't necessarily see like, you know, in the past. No, exactly. I think 2020 in general had this like, you know, blockbuster after blockbuster release. And then since that all got pushed back, we got to check out tons of movies this year um, that were definitely on a smaller scale. Yes, absolutely. You know, the funny thing is like, I've been checking out different like Black Friday sales and everything. And usually, uh -huh. you know, being that, you know, Blu-ray collector that I am, I usually like end up stocking up on a bunch of movies that, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, throughout the year. But unfortunately, there were no movies that were released this year. So there's hardly any Blu-rays out there that I actually want. Hey, buddy, I, I think you're going to be OK. I've seen your wall. <laughs> you, you barely have space for more at this point. Well, my wife's absolutely <laughs> happy with it right now. Uh -huh. so, <laughs> this is the first year like I haven't come home with like a giant bag of like Blu-rays. So I'm, and there's still time. We'll see. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, speaking of stocking up, we've actually stocked up on quite a bit of Marvel news. And let's get into it. But before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, well, first up, we have Alfred Molina returning as Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 3. The power of the sun in the palm of my hand. So take this with a grain of salt, but this is coming from Geeks Worldwide, who they definitely have a good track record. Um, Alfred Molina reportedly is already on the Spider-Man 3 set, and he's actually filming some stunt choreography. There are no real story details as we speak, but we'll keep you guys updated if anything else breaks. So, but yeah, this is definitely just a rumor as of right now. Uh, would you want him to come back as Dr. Archers? Well, yeah, because it would be weird <laughs> seeing him in another role in a Spider-Man film. Uh, I'm wondering if this is, you know, just a different version of Dr. Octopus, uh, because, you know, obviously Dr. Octopus died in Spider-Man 2, so mm -hmm. that would make no sense if it was that world's Dr. Octopus, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if there's another version in the MCU of Dr. Octopus that happens to also be Alfred Molina. And as well, I, I hope that if if this is something that's coming, it's not in Spider-Man 3. I think I just I've heard a lot of rumors for this film. There's a lot of characters rumored for this film. I, I'm kind of hoping that he isn't another one that's just being added or there's too many characters just crammed into this one movie. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a glorified cameo or something where they introduce, yeah. you know, him as Octavius, you know, in a quick scene. But I mean, the fact that they're saying that, you know, he's actually doing stunt choreography makes me feel differently. But I mean, once again, it's only a rumor. Um, I agree where I feel like right now with the amount of different rumors and confirmations that this film is kind of like overstuffed. Um, but we'll see. I trust Kevin Foggy. You know, he's definitely dealt with like giant casts in the past. So, um, but I just, I, I hope they don't lose Peter's like, you know, personal story in the mix yeah. of things. Um, you know, it's cool that they might be doing kind of a Spider-Verse type, you know, storyline. But what does that mean for, you know, the story that we've been following for the past two films? 
And we still don't know if that's even true. You know, if they're doing any type of Spider-Verse. Well, exactly. It just uh, feels like they're going that route with introducing mm-hmm. characters like Electro, who has been confirmed, you know, uh, to be Jamie Foxx in this film. I'm just hoping that, you know, like I said, that, you know, the MCU's Peter Parker story doesn't get too watered down in the process. All right, well, speaking of big new MCU properties, Deadpool 3 moving forward at Disney with new writers. According to Deadline, Reynolds and Disney have tapped Bob Berger's writers, sisters Wendy Molly Newax and Lizzie Molly Newax Logan uh, to write Deadpool 3. Deadline has also confirmed that the film will be rated R, so everyone relax. (laughs) You're going to get your R-rated Deadpool. Um, And they went on to say that they have not picked a director just yet. Well, hell, I love Bob's Burgers. I'm down. I'm down to see a a, a fucking Deadpool written by Bob's Burgers writers. That's fine. Um, I'm just glad that the wheels are churning on this one because it felt like they're kind of at a stalemate for a little bit, um, that there wasn't really much news coming out of, you know, the Deadpool camp. But hey, as long as things are moving forward, that's good news. All right. Well, um, next, Black Panther 2 to reportedly begin filming in summer 2021. Yes. According to sources, production will take place in Atlanta starting July 2021 and could last up to six months. Originally, of course, uh, production was supposed to start in March, but unfortunately, you know, with Chadwick Boseman's untimely death, um, they had to pump the brakes. Uh, there's no word yet on how Ryan Coogler or Marvel will be moving forward um, as far as, you know, you know whether or not they're going to, you know, replace uh Chadwick uh, with someone else playing T'Challa or if they're going to crown a new Black Panther. Well, which would you prefer in general? Well, we've been kind of avoiding this for a while, right? (laughs) With everything, you know, that's happened. Um, Well, I'm of two minds. Like, I, I feel like it's just way too soon to, you know, replace Chadwick. Um, in light of everything that's happened, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just kind of like a timing issue, unfortunately. But then part of me feels like T'Challa is too big of a character in like the Marvel Universe to have just kind of, you know, cast aside. So like part of me wouldn't be upset if they recasted him. Um, I just wish it wasn't so soon after. You know, like if it was like a couple years down the line, I think it'd be easier to stomach. I mean, you could definitely go the Shuri route. Um, That is like kind of the natural progression. But that being said, you know, T'Challa is still a huge part of, you know, the Marvel Universe today. I mean, does that character's legacy mean too much to the MCU to just kind of, you know, move on right now? Because there's still so much story to tell, you know, when it comes to T'Challa. So, I mean, I don't envy, you know, Kevin Foggy and Ryan Coogler at all, uh, you know, because it's just kind of like an impossible situation to be in. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, they've got something planned where they need to have like Black Panther 2 come out because you would think like, I mean, I, in my mind, I would have pushed back the story and just rewrote like wrote around it and something like that. But obviously, they must have something there well, that they wanted to go. They through. were already well into pre-production when mm-hmm. he passed away. So and I think they were, you know, already like in a moment of like, you know, stalling. So, I mean, yeah, if if these rumors are true and, you know, they're planning on filming in August, I would think that they already have an idea of what they're going to do. The report did mention that there are no plans in digitally recreating uh, Bozeman. Thank fucking God, because that would just be a nightmare. Um, You know, another thing is like, do we want to see T'Challa like, you know, get killed off on screen? You know, is that something Mm -hmm. that, you know, will just add more trauma (laughs) to, you know, this already like, you know, just horrible, sad story? Um, You know, or is there a way to respectfully move on with another actor playing that character? You know, I, I mean, whoever they end up, you know, getting would just have to be amazing. You know, it'd have yeah. to be a name that no one would scoff at. They'd be like, okay, you know, the, and like as close as possible, like the same, you know, caliber of actor, if possible, like I said, um, as Chadwick. 
or you just move on with Shuri, you know, and tell that story, which is, I mean, a, a great story. But at the same time, I mean, like I said, T'Challa just means so much to Marvel. I don't know. It's a horrible, exactly. horrible, <laughs> just a horrible conundrum. Well, in Star Wars news, it looks like the Boba Fett spinoff from The Mandalorian might be a prequel. All right, so a report from The Direct is stating that the Boba Fett series, um, currently in development, will be a prequel, answering questions on how Fett survived uh, his Return of the Jedi fall into the Sarlacc pit. And it is possible that the prequel series has already started filming. I mean, this is good news. Uh, it'll, it'll hopefully redeem that, that scream he did before <laughs> landing in the Sarlacc pit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, though. I feel like that story could be told in, like, flashbacks. I don't know if I want a whole series based on, like, where, like, Boba Fett's been. I kind of want him to kind of hit the ground running. We'll see if he shows up again in this season of The Mandalorian um, to kind of continue his story. But, you know, I'm ready to have him, you know, in the armor again, goddammit. So <laughs> I don't know if I want to see him, like, you know, wandering through the desert in, you know, robes, you know, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. <laughs> it, it'd be even more fun if it was like a season of 24, but like inside the Sarlacc the entire time. So he's just figuring out how to get out. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great, Christian. It's like that Ryan Reynolds movie where he's like buried alive. It, it'd be like that uh, James Franco film, uh, the 72 hour one or whatever. Shit. Like oh, that. the mountain climber. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't want that. <laughs> i just want him armored up and fucking you know collecting bounties god damn it well we're not gonna know when he gets that armor until the season of mandalorian well finishes. hey it, we still have you know half of the season to go so we'll see what happens all right well up next we have a new predator coming from 10 cloverfield lane director you son of a bitch so according to Deadline, the new sequel will mark the fifth entry into the proper Predator franchise. Um, we know we did get two spinoffs where he faced off against the aliens. Uh, the new film is being developed underneath the 20th Century Films brand uh, owned by Disney. And the script comes from Patrick Asen, who previously delivered scripts for projects like Kingdom and Jack Ryan and Treadstone. The upcoming film, thank God, will not connect to the horrible sequel, The Predator, that happened in 2018, I believe. Yeah, that movie was the shits, huh? <laughs> you know what? At this point, if they're not going to bring back, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I just don't care. Like, <laughs> you can't do Carl Weathers because he died in the movie, but bring back fucking Arnold. What are you doing here? I mean, Terminator brings him back like every other fucking movie. I mean, you, that's true. You could have him show up, have Dutch show up to fight the fucking Predator. <laughs> that's what everyone wants to see. I don't know if I want to see a whole movie of that, oh, but Christian, I, you I'd don't, love a cameo. You don't understand the Predator, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is a conversation between me and the audience, all right? Not, okay, sure, all right? sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to see Arnold face off against the Predator again. I, Make it as happen. Someone who's watched, as someone who's watched all those Terminator films, I don't need to see old Arnold anymore. Those are I'm shitty good. films, though. I mean, this is different. And, this is different. We've never seen this before. Give it a shot. At least one more get to the chopper. Yeah. Is that, is that what you need? Sure, Christian. <laughs> All right, well, uh, moving on, we have Robert England joins Stranger Things 4 as a disturbed man in prison for gruesome murder. Horror legend Robert England is signed on to star in the upcoming fourth season of The Stranger Things. England will be playing a recurring role of Victor Creel, a disturbed and intimidating man who is imprisoned in a psychiatric hospital for a gruesome murder um, that took place in the 1950s. So yeah, the first thing that came to my mind when hearing about the story is maybe this is something, you know, Hopper's in prison with this guy. In Russia. Maybe the storyline, yeah, in Russia, and maybe the storyline will, that, that'll be like his journey is with Robert England. The fact that they say psychiatric hospital mm -hmm. makes me feel like, I don't know, that's taking place like in the States for some reason. Because I feel like Hopper's not in a psychiatric hospital. I feel like no. he's in some kind of fucking Russian, you know, goulash or something uh do you think this will be someone that has like similar powers to 11 because since we've kind of like t completely left that group since season two or three or whatever that is maybe um and then they can kind of play like an homage to freddy at the same time 
I'm just happy that Robert England's getting, you know, a role in such a big franchise. I feel like it's, you know, time that we get him back in the mainstream, you know, consciousness because he's such like, like, you know, the article says he's such a legend that it's so well deserving. I know that like Stranger Things likes to play like homage to, you know, 80s icons, you know, with their casting. So I feel like this is just a perfect fit. All right. Well, I mean, speaking of horror, um, horror is what's kind, of, kind of funny. Horror has kind of gotten us through this entire year. Absolutely. We should probably be thankful for horror in general. But uh, we actually saw a couple horror movies. That's right. Yeah. Horror really kept this show afloat, honestly, this uh-huh. year. Uh, but yes, anyway, uh, I saw Come Play uh, currently in theaters and also on VOD as of this week. And now our feature presentation. There's nobody but your mom and your dad. Do you know how your nightmares aren't real? Neither are ghosts or ghouls. What are you staring at? Hey! What's this? This is Larry. He isn't from the world you know. Larry just wants a friend. Maybe we should stop reading. Will you be Larry's friend? A monster named Larry manifests itself through smartphones and mobile devices. This was written by and directed by Jacob Chase and stars Azai Robertson, Jillian Jacobs, and John Gallagher Jr. Come Play follows a young boy named Oliver and his family. Oliver is a nonverbal child with autism who uses an app on his smartphone to help him communicate. His parents' relationship is falling apart as his mother is emotionally taxed as the primary caregiver, while his father works a lot to make ends meet, but also maybe to avoid the reality of the situation. Oliver is awoken at night and discovers a new book is downloaded on his phone uh, about a monster named Larry, who just wants a friend. Oliver quickly discovers that Larry is actually some kind of supernatural entity that can use technology as a gateway into our dimension to find a friend to take back with him. While the concept of the film feels really derivative of the now cult classic Babadook, I do feel like there's a story here with its own unique wrinkles that would allow it to really stand out and be its own thing. Unfortunately, the execution kind of betrays that potential. The film from the start really hits the ground running. I mean, things unfold very quickly and that's not a problem at all, but the pacing doesn't allow any time to really build atmosphere and suspense. I mean, it relies way too much on jump scares. A lot of different things are happening, but the movie still strangely feels uneventful. Really like taking this unique premise and just making it feel like another mundane dime a dozen PG-13 horror offering. Something studios crank out five or six times a year. The performances are all strong, um, but it's more of a case of script and editing issues. So speaking of the script, the movie suffers from some incredibly lazy movie logic. I mean, even by bad horror film standards, the parents go from being like too clueless. I mean, literally asking their son how he possibly could blow out all the light bulbs in the house after this ill-fated sleepover he has with his friends to like too eager to jump to conclusions and accept things like coming up with an entire backstory for this monster Larry solely based on one simple picture drawn by their son Oliver. It's one of the most ridiculous exposition dumps I've seen in quite a while. I mean also there's a point where instead of like you know going to the police or a church to find I don't know an exorcist or even Best Buy to like you know get help from the geek squad. I mean once they accept what's going on they they just instead just confide in their son's speech therapist for some reason i mean it it's so logical it just it's laughable so um (laughs) 
you know, without trying to spoil too much, I did think the idea behind Larry the monster and why he exists was interesting, especially like what it says about society and how technology is actually making us feel less connected to each other nowadays. And there are glimmers of a good film here and there, um, especially the ending. It's really moving and effective. But unfortunately, all those moments kind of feel unearned because there's nothing in between holding them together except for just a lackluster, kind of forgettable horror film, which is really disappointing. All right, David, what grade would you have given this? So I'm going to give Complea C-. It feels like there was a good film in here, but it somehow just got lost in the mix. I mean, think like Pumpkinhead meets Wes Craven's Shocker meets Babadook. I mean, how could you possibly go wrong? But like I said, I guess the concept was let down by the execution, which just leaves us with a kind of boring horror film. All right, Christian, you also saw a horror movie this week? Yeah, that's right. I saw the Hulu original film, Run. <laughs> you do everything for me. You teach me. You cook for me. Am I a burden? Sweetheart, I could do more. I'm your mom. It's my job to take care of you when you need me. And you need me. Are you okay, Mom? Of course I'm okay. I have you. A homeschool teenager begins to suspect her mother is keeping a dark secret from her. Directed and written by Anish Shigante and Sev Ohanian. In this thriller, Sarah Paulson and Kira Allen take you for one hell of a ride that you could really get into uh, because of their great performances. However, the film suffers from its sprinting speed, all puns intended. Um, the pace of the film cut a lot of the tension out of this movie um, with a pretty simple plot that you can guess from early in the film. Um, the journey itself doesn't do much to flesh it out or even, I would say, make you second guess the obvious answer to the story, which I feel like would have suited our stars a little bit more if they had a mystery to play with. Instead, um, everything kind of plays out what you might expect, and while I will say the story is satisfying to a point, it doesn't do anything new or groundbreaking with this type of story that we've kind of seen time and time again. Um, I think both stars did a phenomenal job with what they were given, and that's what kind of makes me disappointed with this film, is I think that they could have done even better with more. Um, I think um, this film could have gotten an extra 30 minutes of runtime if it really wanted to uh, and really fleshed out moments between the daughter and the mom throughout the film and maybe spread out the mystery just a little bit longer uh, even though you know with the trailer how the trailer was placed made it really made it really apparent what this film was going to be so I kind of wish I hadn't seen the trailer maybe I would have been taken aback a little bit more by it but at the same time I, I think it's still pretty easy to figure out um and that's, I mean, my, that's my suggestion to you guys as well. If, if you're interested in this film or interested by what I'm saying, don't watch the trailer. If you haven't heard anything of this film, just don't watch the trailer and go in blind. All right, Christian, what grade would you give Run? So I'm going to give this film a B minus. Um, I don't think they did anything too wild or interesting with the filmmaking. I think the story itself is pretty average or on par of what, you know, any film you might see these days. Um, but I think the performances itself by themselves are really what bolster up everything and really what, you know, kept me interested in seeing, wanting to see more. You know, I, I just think I didn't get enough with this film in general. You know, there's just not enough stuff to flesh it out and really make you like really make it stand out in any single way. Um, you know, and that's that's unfortunate, but I do think it, it's it's an OK time at least. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm going to stick with a B minus. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. All right, guys, so it's been a bit of a slower news week in the gaming world. Uh, hopefully some of my fellow gamers have been able to get their Black Friday dreams come true with being able to pick up a PS5 or Xbox 
but I digress. Today I'm going to be talking some Spider-Man Miles Morales as I finally got my hands on it. But first I want to talk a little bit about my thoughts on this year's Game Awards and Game of the Year. We are finally entering that you know final month of 2020 and like I said at the beginning of the show, gaming has really gotten me through this year. After all, the pandemic gave me an opportunity to play more games than ever and those of you who've been like watching my content have gotten to join me on this ride throughout the year. As far as gaming awards go, it seems that the Game Awards is the go-to for the industry. Um, and they finally put out their big category, which is the Game of the Year. Uh, for Game of the Year, this year, they have Doom Eternal, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, Hades, Animal Crossing, and The Last of Us Part II. Uh, for those of you who have been with us for a while, I think you know what game I'm rooting for um, in this category already. But um, for me, Sucker Punch put out an experience I am still gushing over to this day, and that's Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, simply one of my favorite single player experiences of probably like the last 10 years, I think. Um, but I am not 100% convinced that it will be chosen. Um, this field in general is chock full of very diverse gaming experiences this year. Last of Us had incredible performances and challenged the player with its story. Um, fan reaction felt a little 50-50 though. Um, you either hated it or loved it. Personally, it was a very entertaining story, um, but I wasn't convinced it made for the best game experience, um, especially with a lack of choice that seemed to be so obvious to put in um, at its ending. I think um, giving the player an opportunity to make their own moral decision um, would have easily made a ton of people a lot happier with it. Um, Doom Eternal, another shining beacon in this list, was very good, uh, but I'm not sure it left the lasting impression that Doom, um, the first Doom um, itself did. Uh, the main complaint I hear from other players is that the platforming elements really bogged down the game. Um, Animal Crossing, um, while really a fantastic social game, I think uh, it kind of lacks what most of the rest of the games kind of have, which is an unforgettable story experience. What it does have over the others is it has this endless replayability. I think I know like, like five people off the top of my head that value their Animal Crossing world more than their actual day to day. So while I feel it's earned its spot, I'm not convinced it's a full winner just yet. For game of year. Hades and Final Fantasy are both games I haven't gotten into just yet, but what I can say is I understand the appeal. Um, Hades is getting acclaim across the board from players around the world, and I've actually just recently started to hear more about it on my end. Um, looking at the trailers and stuff like that, I see the concept, I, I think it's really cool. I've never been a huge top-down um, game player, but I mean, every once in a while I'll pick one up and check it out, so maybe I'll check out Hades as well. Um, Final Fantasy is another game that I've just never really been all that into. Um, you know, I, it didn't win me over as I was a kid, so I don't have that nostalgia factor for it and stuff like that. But what I did see from Final Fantasy VII's remake trailers and gameplay videos and stuff like that, you know, it really seemed like they they remastered it in a way that is on a whole nother level of remasters. You know, something that I can like if I could compare it to anything, I would imagine, you know, it's how I feel about, you know, the new Resident Evil remakes and stuff like that. Now, while, while I do understand that game is on a different scale <laughs> completely than fucking Resident Evil, I would say, you know, the amount of love that went into that experience was really apparent. And from what I was able to see because of that uh, made me more interested in the game. And yeah, overall, I think this year holds some of the strongest candidates. Um, and even like an even playing field we've seen in a while as far as game of the year goes. Um, and while I'm personally, you know, voting for Ghost of Tsushima, um, I would not be surprised if any of these other game options won. Um, but yeah, to swing on over to some Spider-Man Miles Morales, um, you know, for starters, I want to say, you know, I'm currently playing it on PS4 and no, I'm not talking like PS4 Pro or anything like that. I'm talking like release day PS4. So, you know, my thing is on the edge of death any day now. But for whatever reason, this game is working fucking flawlessly for me. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty impressed on how it's working and that's not, you know, this seems to go against what most players are saying about the game because I'm not running into these bugs. You know, I was originally going to stay away because, you know, 
I was pretty much sold by the marketings telling me that, you know, this game should only be played on a PS5. Um, but in actuality, the only thing that really seems to feel missing are the upgraded lighting effects and, you know, the possible load times, though I haven't really run into any actual load screens while I'm in the game other than when booting it up. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, some glitch videos online from other players stating the game is just poorly optimized for the PS4. But in my, you know, near four hours of play, so far I haven't had like a single issue with the game. Um, Insomniac's Miles is honestly just a good time. I've caught myself smiling through most of it. I still have, you know, more to go, of course, but um, I'm not having those big buggy moments um, on my end. So, so far, so good. Um, listeners, you can catch me playing Spider-Man Miles Morales this weekend on Twitch. Um, come join the chats uh, as I play live, of course. Uh, I'm also planning on continuing with Watch Dogs and Witcher 3, so for those of you um, still catching this on the YouTube version, of course, you know, uploads are going to be coming back um, more uh, daily. Just had a slower week because, you know, holiday season, you know, it gets busy. <laughs> Alright, well, let's move on to some wrestling. Uh, this week we're reviewing Survivor Series. All right, Damon, we, we survived another Survivor Series. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I died with The Undertaker. Oh, you died with The Undertaker. Remember when he put his, you know, hat and, you know, jacket in the ring and left and then came back the next year? Didn't happen, oh. Christian. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't come back like four times after that. No. no, no. All right. Uh, <laughs> anyways, what was your overall thoughts of Survivor Series this year? Well, it's a thing that happened. Uh, um. I feel like the brand versus brand thing is just played out. I feel like at this point they need to put like some incentive behind, you know, if they're going to do this whole, you know, you know, best of the best, they need to put some kind of incentive behind these matches to make them matter. Um, if not, I would rather see them like go back to just the old school style of doing things where you have these elimination matches with teams like made up of, you know, wrestlers who are like, you know, feuding because a lot of times back in the day the teams were put together because, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, that type deal. And that way there's some kind of heat between teams, something organic instead of something so manufactured as like, oh, I'm supporting my brand. Half of these wrestlers just join the brand that they're currently on. You know, I mean, maybe you change when the draft takes place. Maybe you move it to like after the Survivor Series. So there is some sort of brand loyalty where, you know, the wrestlers have been on the brand for at least a year at that point. But otherwise, it just doesn't make sense and it feels so watered down. You know, back in the day, the teams were built on like, you know, pre-existing feuds or, you know, you would get feuds coming out of the Survivor Series match. You know, they would use it to build a new feud. So, I don't know. I'm just over the brand versus brand thing, I guess. Especially since it just doesn't matter and it feels like it follows the same formula every year. Where, like, you know, one of the teams just happens to be feuding against each other. You know, they're having a hard time getting along. Who's the team captain? Well, why does it fucking matter who the team captain is? <laughs> Like, there's not a point in the match where the team captain's, like, calling plays or anything. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe, like, the person on the winning team, the team captain of the winning team, gets something out of the thing. You know, like, or, you know, you have, like, matches to determine the king, the team captain. But otherwise, who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, I know I don't. I mean, even, like, looking at the matches that we had on this card um, and, and the fucking... You know, bringing up the captains during those matches didn't really make any sense. Uh, didn't really do anything for those matches. You know, uh, Bailey running around saying, I'm the captain, didn't really fucking mean anything. No, do any no it, was, it was more of a joke on the women's side, exactly. too. <laughs> um, and, and then, like, the Raw for the last, like, month has been built around the whole, like, team captain concept and mm. them all bickering. But, like, in the long run, it didn't really matter and still doesn't really matter, you know, after the Survivor Series match. So it's just frustrating. Um, I'm over the champion versus champion thing, too, because we get a bunch of matches that are just, like, thrown together that don't really mean anything. And it feels like they're just going through the motions. There's no stakes, you know, on the line. So it, it just it means nothing. 
And then you get stuck with matches like Asuka versus Sasha, which is a great match, and we'll get into that, but we've seen it like four times over the past like three months. So do we really need to see it again? No. You know, I'd rather just see Asuka and Sasha defend their title. Yes. You know, against, you know, a new challenger. That's more interesting to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, just with this card, um, you know, there was there were some enjoyable moments, but for the most part, I felt like I was coasting through it just so I could talk about it on this show for for our <laughs> listeners. Uh, beyond that, it, it was well. At least you actually watched it. This I month. know, right? I, <laughs> there was a there was a moment there where I was like, "Do I do I even want to watch this?" <laughs> I was kind of half expecting you not watching this one. Uh-huh. So. All right, well, let's go ahead and let's break down the card. All right, well, starting off, we had well, actually, there was a pre-show battle royal. Did you, did you catch this one? I did not. But I will say, what a wasted opportunity. I mean, this could have been a nice moment for Dominic to win the Battle Royal, to, mm. you know, get some steam behind him. And, you know, I don't know, just like an individual co- accomplishment for himself here. But instead, we're pushing the Miz because he's got the money in the bank briefcase. Exactly. We got to make him look big again so that when he challenges for the belt. No one is being fooled. <laughs> <laughs> And there's no way he's actually cashing that thing in on anyone. So I don't know. I was half expecting to see him come out during the uh, pay-per-view and Mm. challenge one of them and then lose, you know, right away. Um, You know, just something to kind of, you know, make the match a little more enticing, you know, put some kind of stakes, you know, on it. But, you know, whatever. Oh, well. All right. Well, speaking of Survivor Series, we had the first match be a Survivor Series five on five. Team Raw featuring AJ Styles, Keith Lee, Sheamus, Braun Strowman and Riddle um, defeating Team SmackDown featuring Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, King Corbin, Seth Rollins and Otis. Um, When I saw these two teams in the ring together, my you know, my instinct immediately told me. There's no way Raw is losing this match. <laughs> I mean, just looking at the two teams, like logic says there's no way all these big men are losing to Team SmackDown yeah. whatsoever. It is a huge team. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whenever you have Braun and Keith Lee on the same team, I mean, that's saying a lot. Um, how about uh, the fact that now Matt Riddle is only known as Riddle? He lost his first name. Well, I, I'm assuming it's just so that it's harder to find his shit online. <laughs> I guess. I don't know, man. I mean, come on. People aren't that stupid. No, but. <laughs> All you have to do is type in Riddle WWE. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, this match was fine. You know, I mean, the work in the ring, it was entertaining for what it was. I didn't expect Team Raw to go basically undefeated throughout the entire match and not suffer any eliminations. So that was, you know, something I didn't see coming, at least. Um, The Seth Rollins thing was just weird. I'm wondering if he comes back from, like, paternity leave um, and joins Raw again. (laughs) Like, if that was, like, his way of, like, sacrificing for the greater good. Like, if that's the angle they're going for. I feel like he's just a better fit on Raw. He doesn't really make much sense on SmackDown with Roman there. Um, But we'll see what happens, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because it was just an odd way of, you know, getting him out of the match. But I guess it fits the cult character that he's trying to play that I can't stand. I guess I just (laughs) it's a waste of a wrestler in the match in that at that point. You know, I thought, like, I'm going to get to see Seth Rollins fucking wrestle at least. But then you get more Otis time. Christian? No. <laughs> <laughs> I like the stuff with Otis. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I could have done with less King Corbin. So I, I guess you're right. Uh-huh. Um, I was expecting Jay Uso to look a little stronger. Yes. I mean, he was the last survivor. Um, and I thought, okay, well, they're going to like have him kind of go on a streak here, eliminate a couple guys, look strong. So like maybe build up like, okay, well, he's really coming into his own as a wrestler. So eventually he turns on Roman and he feels like he's leveled up now to Roman's, you know, stature. Um, but I don't think that's where they're going because he's still playing that kind of, I don't know, now, I know, subservient, weaselly type heel. Um so, I mean, that was interesting to me just because of that development. Because uh, right now, I don't see how you turn him face again or play it off like, you know, 
you know, he's standing up to Roman after mm-hmm. he's kind of committed all these sins over the last like month or so, like attacking Daniel Bryan, taking out Kevin Owens, you know, so he's kind of, you know, he, just Roman's lackey at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see them doing a big picture thing in the end with him at this point. Um, I do think they will eventually squander this storyline like they do most. But I, I am, I was at the same, like, just like you were saying, I was hoping he would look strong. You know, he's the sole survivor of his team. He will take out maybe two to three guys and then just get overwhelmed by the remaining. And then we'd, we'd still get that same thing at, by the end of the show or halfway through where he has the confrontation with Roman. And like, even then it would have, like, I felt meant more because like he really put in his best fucking effort to try and win. And he would look like he could have. And even mm. then, Roman's still like, you can't be at my fucking table. You know, it's like, yeah, I, th- I thought that would have been a better story. But, you know, that's... and then I think it would have carried more weight when he mm. does come out during like the Drew match and interferes because you, you wouldn't necessarily see that coming because it feels like they're building him one way. And then all of a sudden, no, he's still in Roman's you know pocket. He's still, you know, his, you know, his lackey. Yes. Uh, but I got more to say about that when we get to that match. But um. Up next, we had the tag team match between the Street Profits and the New Day with the Street Profits going over. I will say this was a fun match. I did enjoy it. I like that the New Day had more of an edge to them. Mm-hmm. I love all the shit talking that they were doing, you know, posing with the cup and booting into the crowd. I thought that was a fun spot. Um, you know, I like the entrance and everything. What, what, what were they plugging? Oh, um, Gears, Gears of War 5. Okay, so they're so actually DLC characters, yes. Interesting. Okay, because I was like, "What the fuck are they dressed up as?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Are they wearing like hubcap armor?" I didn't understand what the hell was going on. It's a I very um, over dramatic armor in the game. Like every all the characters look super buff for no reason. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, you know, I mean, they already have Big E with them, like you know, coming out after being like separated and making a big deal out of mm. it. You know, it shows you it doesn't really matter in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> um, Speaking of Big E, like how ridiculous is he wasn't part of this at all? I I didn't get it either because like even um like even just in the next match we get the entirety of the Hurt business helping out with Bobby Lashley. So I was trying to figure out why was Big E not allowed to at least be at ringside. Yeah, it just goes to show you like this whole pay per view just flies in the face of the whole concept of the brand split. Uh huh. You know, especially when it takes place a month after the draft. You know, <laughs> I mean, what's the point? I, I mean, I get it. They want to plug, you know, whatever kind of cross-promotional thing they got going on. But, I mean, then just leave him on the outside of the ring. Uh-huh. You know, but he should have been at least part of, like, one of the Survivor Series matches if you're actually pushing the guy. I mean, it would be nice, but yeah. no, they, they didn't care. <laughs> but, yeah, overall, the match, I I really did enjoy the match. I do feel like it's four really fucking talented guys that uh, really deserve a whole lot more in the WWE, but aren't going to get pushed very far. And it's just something that I constantly get reminded every time I see them in the ring together. Um, Like, fucking Xavier Woods deserves so much more. Kofi Kingston deserves so much more. Angelo Dawkins deserves so much more. Montez Ford is fucking phenomenal. He he makes some mistakes here and there, but he deserves so much more. No, I agree 100%. I mean, Montez Ford is just a phenomenal athlete. I think once he gets some more seasoning behind him, he's going to be a superstar. I mean, I I don't think they'll be able to deny him. Mm -hmm. I mean, what that guy can do in the air is amazing. I mean, the fucking hang time that he has on that fucking splash is ridiculous. Exactly. So, um, and I mean, he's a master on the mic already. So, I mean, just super impressive for such a young team. I am happy that the Street Profits went over here, too. I think it's important that, you know, we're pushing the younger, you know, teams to make them look like worthy like champions i mean new day there's no reason why new day needed to win this match yeah i mean it's definitely nice to see a super competitive tag team match because both divisions are super lackluster right now Mm -hmm. so i mean they definitely need to rebuild you know both divisions or just fucking combine them at this point you know just make them one division and that way you have the best of both worlds and I think if you combine them, you'll have a really competitive, like, you know, division. Exactly. Though, I mean, they, they haven't even put together the women's tag division. So, <laughs> I, right. I, I, 
there is no women's tech exactly. at this point. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, up next, we had Bobby Lashley g- defeating Sami Zayn. This was a nothing match. Yeah. I mean, this <laughs> Sammy is just, was fun, right? I mean, <laughs> this is a match for match sake. I mean, I, I, no one wanted to see this. I mean, Sammy did his best to make it work. I mean, the Hurt Business did what the Hurt Business does. Um, I did think for a second that Sammy was going to weasel his way out of this by getting mm. himself disqualified. <laughs> I thought it was a nice move having him like try to, you know, make it look like he got tripped by, you know, um, MVP. Yeah. Uh, but in the long run, only there's only so much he could do to make this entertaining. So this was basically a glorified squash match. Exactly. All right. Um, up next, we had Sasha Banks defeating Asuka. This was a good match. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was pretty much 50-50 the entire time. Um, just a lot of counters for counters, showing how evenly matched both wrestlers are. But it was well executed. Um, you know, but it's just a match that we've seen so many times over the last couple months that I just wasn't very interested in it, unfortunately. And I also think that's due to the lack of build for this match. I mean, you could have had Sasha really like play up the fact that she hasn't been able to defeat Asuka recently and really mm-hmm. play up on that and how much it would mean to her to beat Asuka. But instead, I know she's just kind of like stuck in like this whole feud with Bailey and now Carmella. Like it was barely, you know, an afterthought on SmackDown. Sasha also felt very heel in this match when, you know, Sasha's supposed to be definitely more of the face against Bailey and stuff like that. Yeah, I think they kind of just chose their roles for, Hmm. you know, and Sasha just naturally gravitates towards, you know, her heel persona. Um, But it really did nothing for Asuka whatsoever. They need to get some heat back for Asuka. She really kind of like, you know, just lost her steam since since SummerSlam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Up next, we had the five on five women's Survivor Series match. Team Raw can. Team Raw had Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lana, Lacey Evans, and Peyton Royce. And then Team SmackDown had Bianca Belair, Ruby Wrights, Liv Morgan, Bailey, and Natalia. This match made me want to pull out my fucking hair. Like, this was so <laughs> frustrating to watch. It's just such bad booking. I didn't understand what the fuck they were doing. It just shows you how little they really care about these matches. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you had Peyton Royce fucking pin Bailey in this match. What? <laughs> like Bailey's been like your like one of your main heel attractions over the past year. You've done so much to build her up. And then just to kind of like have Peyton nonchalantly pin her like out of nowhere. I mean, and it doesn't even feel like they're going to capitalize on that because then they had Peyton like soon after get pinned. Exactly. Like, if they had done more with Peyton throughout the match, I, I might have believed it more. And if uh, I felt like they were actually going to push Peyton. Yes. <laughs> but they're not going to. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, we'll just have Peyton beat Bailey because we need Bailey out of the ring for some reason. You couldn't figure out another clever <sighs> way of getting Bailey out or, like, have that pin matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, because I didn't even feel like the commentators even played up, like, how big of a deal it should be that Peyton pinned Bailey here. But, oh, they were too busy joking around during this match anyway. But yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. And then like the whole thing's built around Lana and like for, for some reason in their sick twisted minds this is like a way to get Lana over or at least that's what they're telling people. Uh-huh. But it just seems like a bad joke because like every way that they're booking Lana she's not coming off as sympathetic whatsoever. You know, like I mean she just gets in the ring, she makes a bunch of mistakes and then, you know, they <laughs> This whole match seemed like an afterthought, and it was more about just, like, I don't know, trying to get over the storyline between Lana and, like, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. I mean, which is such a fucking waste because they're the tag team champions. So, I mean, (laughs) why aren't they feuding with a tag team? Why are they feuding with Lana? Like, (laughs) you know, and it seems like, like they were punishing Lana because everything that happened with Rusev, then they realized how bad it looks. So they try to redeem themselves Mm. by like, oh, well, we're actually trying to push her, Um, you know, by having her go through this table like nine times in a row. 
But at the same time, all they're doing is making Lana look bad in the ring. They're not doing anything besides, like, you know, having her go through the table. Like, if you had her, like, put on a good showing in any of these matches, then yes, maybe she would look sympathetic. But all these matches, she's still kind of coming off as a heel. Just a couple weeks ago, you had her basically costing Dana Brooke and, um, Mandy Rose, uh, their a title match because of her incompetence, you know. So she's not doing anything that really makes you believe that she is a competent wrestler. So here, you know, it would have been one thing if you had her come in and like house of fire and actually like you know display some kind of talent and like overcome the odds. You know, actually get a pin on someone, but instead she just kind of falls into being the sole survivor, and it just really doesn't matter. And she celebrates like a fucking heel here. Uh huh. You know, like that's a heel way to react <laughs> to something like that. You should be embarrassed that, like, you just kind of fell into, like, you know, winning the match, you know, if you have any kind of sense of pride, but instead she's acting like she fucking won, like, the, you know, the world championship. When are they going to push Bianca Belair, though? Well, here, too, another part problem with the match is they're still trying to, like, kind of protect people. Where mm. you had Shayna Baszler go out by, like, choking out Belair, you know, and just, like, refusing to let go of the hold for no reason, even though it was obvious that Belair passed out before she got to the rope. And then you have Belair, like, getting counted out, which just seemed ridiculous, you know, because they didn't want her to take a pin. Uh-huh. So it just... It's like, this is just, this is like just the total embodiment of WWE booking right now. <laughs> you know, all these weird fluke finishes that happen to happen because they're trying to like protect people and do 50-50 booking. And then we get stuck with this shit finish that no one cares about and that they're going to totally forget about in a week or two. Oh, absolutely. They're not doing anything with Lana. I'm you know, waiting for table drop 10. I'm surprised if that didn't happen this week already. I think eventually <laughs> probably what's going to happen is she's going to end up teaming up with someone and defeating uh, Naya and Shayna. I think that's going to end up happening. But at the same time, it's only going to last for a couple weeks because right now, unfortunately, I don't feel like she can carry her own in the ring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, until she proves that to me, like, I don't want to see her on my screen. You have so many other talented wrestlers on your roster that mm -hmm. deserve that spotlight, yet they keep on going back to Lana. And it's fine. I'm not saying she can't get there. She can, and she will. But stop throwing her out there when she's just too green. Let her get more experience if she really wants to be a wrestler. All right. Well, last but not least, we had the champion versus champion. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. So I enjoyed this match. I thought it had like, you know, a big match feel to it. Um, it's just a shame that they couldn't say this to like a WrestleMania Absolutely. to where it could have actually like mattered. I mean, I guess this could have been like an appetizer to something bigger down the line. But at the same time, I'd rather see them like kind of touch, you know, for the first time and their new like incarnations, uh, you know, just, I don't know, on a bigger stage. And not that Survivor Series can't be a bigger stage. It is one of the big four. But, you know, it should have something on the line where it matters more. You know, and there should have been more of a build behind this. They did an okay job building it up on SmackDown. But, I mean, Roman really fucking did a number on Drew. Really showing, like, you know, who the top dog is, uh, you know, in WWE. Just, like, you know, belittling Drew and kind of making uh -huh. it seem like, you know... The Raw title is the secondary title, um, which it kind of is, unfortunately, nowadays. So so I feel like they still do have plans for Drew and Roman, um, but it's just got to be on the back burner right now. Well, I mean, I hope so. I absolutely hope that they do have plans because I, I really, really enjoyed this match overall. Um, you know, I think there is a, a massive amount of potential if they're able to capitalize on both these characters eventually meeting again at some point. Um, I think, you know, Drew McIntyre being... A, this made Drew McIntyre look like a type of face that I would want him to be rather than the last few matches he's had where it's, I, I don't know, it, it seemed like he's needed either help or he's gotten help in different ways or he's won on flukes. It's, it's, it's been kind of weird for me in general, but 
Yeah, I mean, it, it also reminded me that Roman doesn't have enough faces uh-huh. to go against <laughs> over on SmackDown right now. You know, he doesn't have any real challengers, and they need to start building challengers for him. Because um, the character is fantastic, um, but it can't just be like Roman and Jay the entire time. You know, he needs to kind of have someone to stand up against him to make this character sustainable for a long period of time. So, uh, I mean, it seems like they're going to go with Daniel Bryan, which makes sense. But they need to build up Daniel Bryan again and mm-hmm. make him feel like a legitimate threat. I mean, they've booked him like a fucking run-of-the-mill mid-carter like the last year or so, um, which is ridiculous. So That's just because in their minds, Brian can get himself over. They don't care. They don't worry about it. No, and with him doing a lot of, you know, booking right now on SmackDown, mm-hmm. it sounds like, I could see himself putting, you know, other talent before him. But mm-hmm. right now, what the brand needs is a hot fucking baby face like Daniel Bryan. <laughs> To help carry it. So, I mean, you need uh, a worthy competitor for Roman. And they've had fucking bangers in the past, those two. There was that one match before Roman um, headlined WrestleMania where Daniel Bryan and him faced off. I think the pay-per-view beforehand. That was fucking super stiff. They went to town and it was a great match. I'd love to see a program between these two. Especially this, like, like I said, this new version of Roman. I mean, and I think you could build an ultra, like, white-hot baby face in Daniel Bryan facing up against him. No, absolutely. I think if anyone could tell a great story against Roman's character right now, it would be Bryan. Like, yeah. th- that, that classic underdog story is right there. It's all written already. No, it's absolutely right there for the taking. It's just whether or not they're going to capitalize on it. One more thing I wanted to say about the match in general, though. At the end, when, you know, we, we have the ref get knocked out of the ring, and we have Jey Uso come to help. It really didn't feel like Jey Uso did much to actually help. Uh, I know I know he got a super kick in, but as soon as Drew punched him off and then Roman got the, you know, the crotch shot, you know, what more did, did Jey really add to that moment? It was uh, more and, of a distraction, I guess. It, it, I don't know. Man. It, it didn't feel it. It didn't feel needed at that point at all. <laughs> it, it could have been better executed. I yes. agree with that. You know, I'd much rather see him hit him with a chair or something like that, make it a bigger moment. And then that it, it just adds heat to Roman. Like he, he defeated Drew, but you leave something on the bone where he had to do it by, you know, actually, you know, a chair shot. Well, after this match, we also got the final farewell to The Undertaker. Yeah, I mean, so for the most part, it was pretty well done. I just... I, I felt like it could have been about 10 minutes shorter (laughs) Um, just because I felt like they didn't make good use of their time. They had a lot of opponents from Undertaker's past like HBK, Triple H, um, Ric Flair, and then they had his whole like BSK crew out there, which was nice. And I thought they're going to kind of go like the Flair route with things. But then like once he made his entrance, they all just kind of disappeared. Now that would have been fine, but they gave each one of those wrestlers, their full entrance. So it just felt like pointless. Mm. I would have much rather seen like at least one of them speak or, you know, a couple of them speak um, or at least be in the ring when he got to the ring to kind of greet him. And then once he starts to talk, you know, they go ahead and disappear. I did like McMahon saying something. It just adds weight to, you know, his career and everything. Cause McMahon rarely speaks nowadays. Um, especially during something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I like the whole fucking, the whole pomp and circumstance was nice. I just wish we would have gotten a little more from like the, the wrestlers out there, you know, honoring him, especially like Mick Foley. Yeah. I mean, like at a certain point, like even when he started talking, I was like, is this, is this going to turn into a work? Is someone going to come out and challenge him? Cause <laughs> oh, I was totally expecting someone to come out and get choke slammed. I was like, he's going to at least like go off with one choke slam or something like that. Like have Elias come out one last uh-huh. time or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they chose to do it the classy way, which is fine. <laughs> I do love how like the God wins and Kane were in full gimmick. It's like no one told them that it wasn't a costume party. Uh-huh. You know, so it was a little awkward. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. 
it was good for what it was, I guess. Um, I just, I maybe I was expecting too much, especially after like Flair's retirement. Like that uh-huh. was so perfectly done that I thought they would go over the top for The Undertaker. And I mean, I guess it just doesn't fit the character to do that, especially if he's still trying to like stay in gimmick and, you know, go off in the sunset as The Undertaker. You can't have some weird like sentimental, like, you know, emotional moment, you know, yeah. with him in that gimmick. I just didn't think that they were going to go with him going off into the sunset as Undertaker. I thought, okay, he will finally, like, he'll become Calloway. You know, he won't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of that in interviews right now. And I think we'll see him on, you know, WWE TV again, you know, but he'll just be Mark Calloway for now on. Mm-hmm. so i mean and that's fine that's fine it sounds like he's getting interested in doing like some like training stuff like that with the younger you know talent and everything we've seen like behind the scenes stuff where he's like talking to like nxt guys which is awesome um you know i mean there's not a better like big man to like you know help coach you know some of the larger athletes that they have on that brand so um that's all great you know and then like for anyone who's working any kind of gimmick i mean he's the perfect guy to talk to you know, because that guy commits 100%. Um, and it, it fucking paid off. So, I mean, you know, you got to respect The Undertaker. Exactly. Do you have any favorite Undertaker moments, Christian? Um, not, I mean... Not necessarily matches. Moments. I think how I was kind of introduced to him back in the day. Not too far back, but, you know, um, with, you know, constantly having Teddy Long bring him out as the ultimate enemy you know like you will go one-on-one with the undertaker was just like a random punishment to people uh is that, <laughs> that during, was that was during like the american badass days yeah and then a little bit afterwards too um you know he he was like teddy Long's little pretty much like final boss whenever you pissed him off yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, that character, for the most part, you can say what you want to say about him. But, like, I did enjoy the fact that they did get to play up that kind of, like, you know, that locker room leader aspect mm-hmm. of the character. Um, you know, or basically turn the locker le- locker room leader aspect of, you know, Mark Calloway into kind of a character for, you know, WWE TV and use that on SmackDown, like the way that, you know, he faced um, Jeff Hardy and he gave him like the the sign of respect, even though, you know, he was still heel at that point. But, you know, that moment really put over Hardy or like Mm -hmm. even the moment with him and Cena, you know, when Cena debuted, like those little moments were well done. So, I mean, I, I was over the character, you know, and I did feel like it was time <laughs> uh-huh. to go back to like the Undertaker full gimmick. But, um, you know, I did respect, you know, trying something different. I think it, you know, really breathed new life into the Undertaker's career in the long run. Uh, did you have a personal favorite moment? I don't know if it was meant to be fun or not, but I really liked like the satanic version of Undertaker when he's like kidnapping Stephanie and she's like, he's like, where to Stephanie? And he drives off and that's how the show ended. <laughs> uh, it definitely felt like a Freddy Krueger line. Oh, yeah. Time, no, so. <laughs> it's it's totally, you know, riffing on horror movies. That's my <laughs> weird moments that I love. <laughs> well, just like The Undertaker's career, the episode is coming to an end. All right. But before we head out, make sure to head over to DramaCityProductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts. That's right. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Yeah, it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going. And you know what? If you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see the full versions of these articles, plus a whole lot more. Yeah, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. That's your nerd hub for all things pop culture. And if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Tee Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely. And you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. All right, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, make sure to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. That's right, or tell a friend. Exactly. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Run! Go! Get to the chopper!